Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling. Today, I'm joined in the studio by my good friend, Colin Hansen. Colin is the editorial director of the Gospel Coalition. Before he worked at TGC, he was the associate editor at Christianity Today. You might know Colin from one of his books, Young, Restless, and Reformed, where he chronicled the rise of the Reformed movement among younger evangelicals, or his fantastic book on the history of revival called A God-Sized Vision. He also is the editor of the Cultural Renewal series of books that he edits with Tim Keller, and he serves on the advisory board of Beeson Divinity School. Colin has terrific insights on the future of the evangelical movement, uh, kind of where the blind spots are, where the movement is going, and kind of overall the general state of Christianity in America. We'll, We'll talk about some of the recent findings of the Pew Research Poll on Christianity uh, and other things like that. Before we begin our conversation with Colin, however, I want to tell you about a really neat event coming up next week. If you're planning on being at the Southern Baptist Convention in Columbus, we are hosting a special event Monday evening, June 15th, with Nine Marks Ministries. So you'll have Russell Moore and Mark Dever taking your questions on connecting the church and culture. You can get your tickets, free tickets, by going to my website. I'll have a link there, danieldarling.com. Or you can stop by the ERLC booth at the SBC in Columbus and get your free tickets there. You won't want to miss it. Mark your calendar, Monday evening, June 15th, 9 p.m., Nine Marks Ministries at ERLC with Russell Moore and Mark Dever. We'll have all this information on my website, danieldarling.com. But for now, let's get to our conversation with my friend, Colin Hansen. Well, I'm glad to have my friend, Colin Hansen, the executive director of the Gospel Coalition with me on the Way Home podcast. Uh, Thanks for being here, Colin. Thanks for having me, Dan. I want to talk about your new book, Blind Spots, which is a fascinating book just about the evangelical movement. And first of all, before we kind of get into the meat of that book, recently this Pew report came out a few weeks ago, and uh, it just shows Christianity's in decline, but perhaps evangelicals as a whole may be actually growing. What was your read on this report? And I read on a lot of discussion about that, Dan, and I had an opportunity to talk with with my own congregation, the other church members of my of my congregation about it, because a lot of them are young, and a lot of them represent what. Pew was finding um, a, a move, a dramatic move away from mainline Protestant, more liberal Protestant churches, a dramatic move away from the Roman Catholic Church. Mind you, the, the, the number, the percentage share numbers might not look big, like, say, 3% of Roman Catholics uh, leaving the Church. Um, again, that is for their share of the overall American population. But keep in mind, Pew's research was only between 2007 and 2014. Um, I was starting seminary in 2007. It doesn't seem that long ago. So losing 3% of the share of the American population in only seven years is really significant. And also just the jarring number that those who claim no religious affiliation, Dan, are the second uh, largest religious group in America, Mm. a little above 20%. And that number jumps to 33% when you're talking about millennials, those people born uh, around uh, 1981-1982, which would put me just kind of on the upper end of those millennials. So that 
I mean, they, they represent a lot of that movement. Uh, we're a non-denominational church, and so a lot of people have moved away from mainline Protestant churches. That was That's my story. I'm, I grew up in a mainline Protestant church and became evangelical as a teenager. Not many of them, because we're in the Deep South, moved away from Roman Catholicism. But interestingly, also, a lot of them moved out of Southern Baptist churches. So one of the figures in the study was... Um, a fairly significant decline in, in the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're all aware of in those overall numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been in decline for, for several years now. But it's not necessarily all bad, as if those Southern Baptists are jumping immediately to the none category. A lot of them are jumping into the non-denominational category, mm-hmm. like my church. And, um, and our church looks like, I think, what a lot of people would love for the SBC to look like. We believe the Bible. Um, we're courageous to stand up for truth. We're commissioned to take the gospel to the nations, but also compassionate to love those people who are on the margins, uh, particularly in the city of Birmingham, and uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And so that's, that's kind of my overall take was, you know, this represents a lot of trends that I'm seeing on the ground in, in my local church. And on top of that, it seems that Evangelicals are maintaining overall their, I mean, even growing numerically, declining partly in terms of share of the population, but um, but Christianity overall is in such significant decline that it makes evangelicals feel like we're more under siege in the culture. And I think that feeling is correct because those Roman Catholics and evangelical Protestants who not who didn't they weren't in the same churches that we were in. But they were kind of on our side on mm-hmm. a lot of social issues in the culture, and they were leading the way in a lot of big institutions like media and education and government. The decline of those religious traditions within Christianity in America is why we see things like the reaction to Indiana and religious liberty and things like that. So evangelicals are feeling kind of almost ascendant within Christianity, but under siege overall in the culture. And I think that's exactly what the data is showing us from Pew. Yeah, and it seems like there's just a big sifting going on in the religious landscape, right? So as I was talking to some friends about this, it seems confessionalism is steady or on the rise, but civil religion, the kind of, hey, let's go to church, it's a good thing, we want to be seen going to church, is really on the decline, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of evangelicals, that's a, that's a positive phenomenon. We, we don't, um, when Jesus says you must be born again in John 3, there's not a partial way to be born. It's an all or nothing kind of deal. Jesus says, calls all of us to, to pick up our crosses and to follow him. Um, he doesn't seem to, uh, doesn't seem to baptize or endorse any kind of, any kind of civil religion in that regard or half-hearted religion. Um, the, the challenge for evangelicals, though, is that we've assumed for so long that even as we follow Jesus um, and, and talk about the cost of discipleship, the courage needed, we've expected the overall institutions of American life to be generally favorable toward us, mm-hmm. even if people didn't agree. And that's where we're not going to be able to have it both ways. So when Jesus talks in John sixteen thirty three about, in this world you will have much tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, well, that you will have much tribulation that he's told his disciples then and now, we're going to see that, because those people in that sifting, 
those people who used to say Christianity is a good thing, generally speaking, because it leads to good morals and order in society, mm-hmm. are now more likely to say, actually, like the early Roman Empire did, no, Christianity actually is a threat to order, because these are the people who will not bow the knee to all of our modern-day idols, um, especially those of the sexual revolution. So the sifting is good in many ways, but in many other ways, it's going to be very, very painful. I think about this, Dan. It's one thing to talk about the sorting is a positive thing until our Christian institutions that people have given hundreds of millions of dollars to over the years, especially our Christian colleges, begin to close. Um, because yeah. that sifting has taken away any sort of cover they've had for any kinds of governmental and tax supports. I don't know if that's going to happen, Dan, or, or when it would happen, if it's in five years or ten years, but I know it's a realistic possibility based on what we've seen in recent Supreme Court oral arguments. And so I rejoice in many ways about that sifting because it makes our evangelistic task much clearer Mm-hmm. but it's also going to come at great cost to all of us. I want to talk about evangelism for a second, because one of the things I was thinking about, and I know you've written and, and talked about this, and it's kind of the big emphasis of the Gospel Coalition is, you know, it seems like in a in a culture where there is kind of a Protestant base, if you will, civil religion, evangelism really was kind of, you know, I want to say easy, but it was four spiritual laws. It was, let's let's skip ahead to a few verses in Romans and we can close the deal. But now you're, when you're evangelizing with people who are admitted, you know, atheists or skeptics or perhaps other religions um, like Muslim or Buddhist, you really have to tell the whole story of Christianity, right? And kind of introduce people to what evangelicals actually believe and what the Bible says, which I would argue we should have been doing all along, right? Right. Yeah. So another another thing related to that Pew data, again, you see, I think evangelicals are ascending on the descension of and the declension of Roman Catholics and mainline Protestants. So even though Dan, I grew up in church in some sense, and I I didn't I didn't know you need to be born again. I didn't know my Bible very well. Um, I didn't hear the gospel clearly proclaimed on a regular basis. Mm. I still knew that there was right and wrong. Very Mm -hmm. clearly. And I still knew that church was a good thing, even if it didn't feel like a good thing, even if it was annoying. And so in some ways, evangelizing me, where I already have a built-in expectation of sin and good and evil, and that this Christianity stuff is probably true, I don't don't know why, or don't know why it's relevant. In, In purely human terms, that's an easier person to evangelize. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe somebody coming from a thick Roman Catholic background, that might be pretty different, mm-hmm. um, because you're going to have to deconstruct a whole lot of things to be able to get to that point. But um, you're exactly right about evangelism, where if there's a bigger gulf between the, the so-called nuns and the evangelicals over here, and there's a built-in expectation in our culture that we're going to be fighting a lot, and anytime any social issue or political issue comes up, it's the nuns versus the evangelicals, I mean, that's going to be—that's a hard context to evangelize in. And I was, I was just talking recently with my church about this. Mm-hmm. One of the things I mentioned was—and this is really the foundation of the Blind Spots book—was that my arguments 
which were many of them evangelistic and also apologetic, my arguments stopped working. And they stopped working because I thought, you can appeal to reason, you can appeal to history, mm-hmm. you can appeal to the Bible as an authority, but those are not widely regarded as authorities any longer. And so you see that the evangelistic task requires a deconstruction in the first place of almost just showing somebody through tangible acts of love and hospitality that I'm not crazy like you think I am. Mm -hmm. And then it's to show, and Christianity, when it comes right down to it, makes sense of those things that you're too afraid to ask, and then also it is more beautiful than the life you're living, which on its own terms is bound to fall apart. And that's where the Christian story from Genesis to Revelation comes in and shows the beauty of a God who comes for his people in all different places, in all different times, from all different backgrounds. And mm. that's, that's good news in any time or place. It really is. Let, let's talk some about your book, Colin. Let's talk about blind spots. And so one of the things I think is interesting is just kind of the three categories of evangelicals that you have compassionate I believe courageous, courageous, commissioned. Yep. And what was the third one? And commissioned, commissioned, commissioned. Yeah. So, can you explain those three categories and how? I guess if you know when you're inclined toward one, how you have blind spots toward the others, and about your own faults. Yeah. So each one of these groups, it's more or less um, kind of a twofold purpose. It's at once a descriptor of kind of the ministry of Jesus that he was himself courageous, compassionate, and commissioned, Mm -hmm. but at the same time describes how we tend to uh, incorporate or or appreciate one aspect of Jesus' character, but not all three. Uh, So take, for example, the courageous group. So insofar as they're following Jesus, the courageous folks are steadfast, learned, and they're bold for their faith. All good things, all Christ-like characteristics. The problem is there's a flip side. There's a blind spot to every corresponding strength. So at the same time, they tend to be combative, prideful, and individualistic. Mm. That's a problem. Those are not Christ-like tendencies. So those are, those are the blind spots. When, so what happens is when courage is in isolation from the other character values of Jesus, these blind spots tend to, tend to overwhelm the, the effort to display and image Christ to other believers and to others in the world who don't believe. So the compassionate side, likewise, they are generous, empathetic, and sensitive, as Christ was. Mm -hmm. But they tend to become frustrated, naive, and compromised. Major problem. And so what you get is the compassionate people looking over at the courageous saying, hey, pointing fingers, saying, hey, you guys are combative and prideful and individualistic. And the courageous folks say, Oh, yeah? Well, you're frustrated, naive, and compromised. Like, well, I mean, insofar as you're both isolated from the full example of Christ and living out of your blind spots, then you are. Why don't we move toward Christ at the center, where together we can all be steadfast, learned, bold, generous, empathetic, and sensitive? So a lot of the debates that we see so often online, Dan, especially in our jobs, are between the folks wearing the courage mantle or wearing the courage cape and those with the compassion cape. The third group, though, I think a uh, commission group is actually the largest one in evangelicalism. Um, this would represent a lot of uh, ev- a lot of evangelical mega churches. So they tend to be creative, innovative, and practical. 
good things. These are the folks with the with the heart of Paul um, to uh, to become all things to all men, so that I might save some. Uh, the problem is, though, that insofar as they're not following Christ, they tend to be impatient, disrespectful, especially toward uh, Christian history and liturgy, then over-contextualized. The good news that they're sharing sounds good, of course, to the world, because it's the, what, what the world wants to hear already in their sin, and it's just sort of endorsing what people in their itching ears want to hear. So those are the three groups, and uh, again, how their strengths become weaknesses when they're in isolation and not fully followed in Christ together. I think it was really good. One of the things you said in in your book is that um, it's not disrespectful. I'm paraphrasing, but it's not disrespectful to thoughtfully critique and analyze the leaders in your own. I want to say right. tribe, but your own tendency. Yeah, uh, yeah your own heroes. Yeah. Can Can you explain that? Yeah. Well, I think what happens is we're we're so often comparing ourselves to other Christians and not Christ. And we're saying, yeah, maybe I'm maybe I got my own problems, but I'm not so bad as that guy, so I must be okay. And then we take one of our heroes and we elevate him or her. And especially if it's a hero from history, um, we see all of the strengths and we don't recognize mm-hmm. their blind spots. So then all of a sudden it's like, well, if we could just get back to pick your leader from the 1950s or 1960s or 1850s or go further back. If we could just get back to what he did or what she said, all of the problems would go away today. We just need more of him. It's like, well, that may very well be true, but it probably doesn't tell the full story because none of us compared to Christ is fully, uh, is fully on mission. Uh, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And so, it requires looking to people who are not exactly our first. I don't know. I, I did. I did a quiz of people where they could diagnose. It's at Crossways website. They could diagnose mm-hmm. some of their own blind spots. I saw that. And I remember. Yeah, I remember asking a question of like, "Would you rather read a biography of Corey Ten Boom or Martin Luther or Steve Jobs?" Mm. Now, of course, like Steve Jobs is not a Christian hero by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of especially commissioned churches see him as a hero for his innovation and things like that. And the thought is, well, probably those guys who are reading uh, only about Steve Jobs and Disney and things like that about how to run their church, probably they could use a lot more about Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. Maybe read on the Babylonian captivity of the church. (laughs) That might be a really helpful thing for those guys to read. But, you know, some of the people who fancy themselves a modern-day Martin Luther they might actually just be offending people because they're not being thoughtful or strategic at all about how to reach people today. So, no, don't don't pat on yourself after Steve Jobs, but but try to find some kind of of creative of creativity and innovation to be able to understand how the gospel while it never changes, it speaks to people in different ways at different times. So, Part of it's that if you always tend to read biographies and look up to a similar kind of person, you need to broaden your reading palette at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. That That's such a good word. And it seems like what is emerging of evangelicalism, hopefully, is less of that kind of nostalgia, that sort of historical hagiography, if you will, of previous eras and more of a, just a sense of this is the time and place to which we are called. I mean, when I talk to young pastors and church planners, I don't find 
among any of them or almost any of them a kind of, if we could just get back to this time period, there's a real sense of God has called me to this time and to this place, and uh, this is the world to which I'm called to minister to, which seems to me a, a good, healthy perspective. It is. It is, Dan. And so part of the reason that we need to learn from other Christians to expose our blind spots is that you'll tend to hear, especially from white evangelicals, a kind of nostalgia, especially toward the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Um, but that doesn't make a lot of sense, first of all, to historians who recognize that that was the pinnacle of liberal Protestantism and Roman Catholicism in America. Right. So we think only of Billy Graham, but we don't think of the National Council of Churches, or we don't think of, of, uh, of Norman Vincent Peale, or people mm-hmm. like that. So again, we're very selective in our history and are selective in our nostalgia, but also when you talk to other kinds of believers, you realize that what feels like a golden era for you if you're a white evangelical, is a living nightmare if you're a black evangelical, especially living in the South. And that helps you to see, oh, okay, so God is the same in every time and place, and every place is equally in need of His grace. And there's no golden period that I can return to that all of a sudden will solve all my problems, because we ought to be disabused of that notion, Dan, because... Our Bibles themselves contain two letters to the church in Corinth, a letter to the church, the churches of Galatia. I mean, those are by no means uh, nostalgic letters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're calling people to the primacy of Christ and to the primacy of, of, uh, mm-hmm. of the teachings that Paul himself, as, a, as an apostle, have been given by Christ, but they're not calling people back to say, boy, if there were just a time before this, uh, everything will be fine. And that's why I generally think that declension narratives are so dangerous for yeah. evangelicals, because they can raise a lot of money, because fear makes people open their checkbooks. But we all know that we follow, we ought to at least, if we're looking at that big story that you talked about from Genesis to Revelation, that we're adopting what Carl Henry called a sober optimism. Mm-hmm. We expect much tribulation in this world, just as Jesus told us, but we take heart because Jesus overcome the world, and He's coming again, and that gives us hope no matter where we live, whether it's Saudi Arabia or, um, or Birmingham, Alabama, that, that Christ, is, Christ is at work. Yeah. I mean, it seems like before I took this role, the last book I preached to was First Peter. And it seems like a book like First Peter is really prescient for today, where you see Peter saying, yes, you're sojourners and exiles, and yes, you will you'll expect social marginalization, maybe even persecution. This is no accident. You were called to this. And, and to where he, he, he calls us to both, I think, courage and civility, which is what you're talking about in, in your book. I, I, I like one of the the quotes you say is that courage doesn't always appear bombastic. It often looks like quiet confidence that if Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead, we don't need to overreact to the ups and downs of each day. I really like that. Well, first Peter is exactly, I mean, I I really built a lot of this book off first Peter and I would, it's a, uh, any preacher who's listening here who hasn't preached through that book yet, I mean, the time is now to right. be preaching through that. First Peter 2, 11 and 12 in particular were mm. very instrumental um, in writing this book. There's, there's an expectation that 
the Gentiles, the non-believers, are going to see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father, even as they're persecuting us, even as they're hating us. And so you see that pattern throughout the book of Acts, that as Paul's going around and around, like there are Bereans, those people who inquire of the Scriptures and say, this is true, and there are other people who want to stone you. That's just what the gospel's done in every time and place. The other place that I looked to, Dan, for a lot of inspiration was the farewell discourse, mm. uh, John 14 to 17 oh, in yeah. particular. And you see all of these different expectations of, of courage, like you're going to have, the world is going to hate you because it hated me first, Jesus told his disciples. At the same time, the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another, the compassion part. And then the commission part, he says, I'm sending you in the power of the Holy Spirit because He is going to convict the world in sin and judgment. Again, He's sending us, and He says we're going to do even greater things than Jesus did because of the power of that Spirit in fulfilling the Great Commission. So uh, hopefully, uh, as far as I was able, I tried to root these concepts in this book in the, in the revelation of, of Scriptures from God. Well, Colin Hansen, author of this new book, Blind Spots with the Gospel Coalition. Really, thank you for your time. Great conversation. Appreciate your work. I encourage everyone to go out and get this book and read it. It's very, very important as we think through what ministry looks like in the next several decades. Great. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your work. Well, I want to thank my good friend Colin Hansen for that great conversation. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by dropping us an email at wayhome at erlc.com or perhaps writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher? If you're interested in our other conversations with Christian leaders like Matt Chandler or David Platt, Karen Swallow Pryor, Johnny Moore, Molly Hemingway, and others, we have all those conversations posted at my website, danieldarling.com, or you can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher. We'd love to have you listen to some of those other podcasts. You can also find information about our special event next week at the SBC with Nine Marks Ministries and ERLC, Russell Moore, and Mark Dever. But until then, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Mm-hmm.